Friends, I hope you've taken some opportunities over the last week or so just to, to spend some extra time in prayer, seeking, uh, seeking that attentiveness, seeking to, to be able to hear and to listen and to see the Holy Spirit at work in your life and in the lives of, of those around you and in the world around you. But today we're going to continue that conversation, continue talking about the Holy Spirit. We're calling the sermon series Wind and Fire, uh, drawing from Acts 2, the, the story of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came like a, a violent rushing wind and like flames of fire upon the disciples and changed everything. The, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that, that empowered and enabled the disciples to be about Christ's work in the world. It's the same Spirit that empowers and enables us today. So we're going to dig into that. What does it look like for us to live this life in the Spirit? Um, so we're going to dig into a passage from Paul, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatian church. So this is Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 13 through 25. Um, some of this might sound familiar. Uh, in the midst of this, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And many of you know that. Many of you memorize the fruit of the Spirit, maybe when you were younger. Uh, but I encourage you to hear this with new ears. Paul says this, For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit. And what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you. Thank you for uh, Paul's words here. Thank you for your scriptures and the ways that you speak to us through them and reveal yourself to us through them. I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to us today. Uh, just grab hold of us, take hold of us, and transform us. Holy Spirit, we lay ourselves better before you and pray that you just breathe your life into us, all in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen and amen. So as we continue this sermon series, Wind and Fire, we're going to continue talking about the person and the nature of the Holy Spirit, but also the effects of the Spirit's work in our lives. You know, what, what does a life in, lived in the Spirit really look like? You know, we have this list of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, 
Um, but what, what really does it mean? What does it mean to be free in Christ? And what's the relationship between freedom and the Spirit? So today we're going to talk a bit about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and, and to be honest, the, to talk about the fruit of the Spirit deserves its own sermon series, really. We can do a whole sermon series on each, each facet of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, so we're, we're not going to focus on this, this list in, in, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, but we're going to focus on that life in the Spirit, which the, the, we bear fruit. Uh, as Paul says, these, these facets of the, this one fruit of the Spirit, but it's the life lived in the Spirit, and the nature of that freedom. But as I, as I was reading through Galatians this week, I kept latching on to uh, one particular passage, uh, really a one particular verse that isn't even a part of this passage that I read for today, but is crucial to understanding this passage. Um, but in, in verse one of chapter five in Paul's letter to the Galatians, Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And that one Simple verse is the, really the main thesis that is fleshed out in the rest of Paul's letter through chapter 5 and 6. And so it got me thinking. It got me thinking about freedom, you know, and, and how we understand freedom, how we understand freedom in our culture today around us, but also how we understand freedom as Christians. Are they the same? Are there similarities? Are there differences? What is the nature of freedom? But also is thinking about the way the Holy Spirit works and about what we should look like living a life in the Spirit. How we should live following Jesus and guided by the Spirit. So I, I just kept asking, you know, how, how does freedom and the Holy Spirit relate? But this is one of the, the, the brilliant themes that runs through in in. Paul's letter to the Galatian church. But to get a, a better idea of what Paul is saying, we have to, to look at his, his broader message. And, and the reality is Galatians can, you know, his message in, to the Galatian church can be broken up into really two main themes. We encounter the first theme through, throughout the first half of the book and a little, little more than that. But that, that theme could just be pretty much boiled down to the nature of faith. It's almost as if Paul is saying, don't just do something, stand there. It's just kind of this great reversal of, of what we typically, typically think. Paul's just saying, you know, don't, don't just do something, stand there. And he's saying that there is nothing we can do to contribute to our salvation. It's purely a work of God by his grace and mercy. Paul says, in effect, you did not have to make yourself righteous first in order to qualify for admission. In fact, by their very effort to fulfill the letter of the law, the Pharisees were continually missing the spirit, the ethical core. But if you would only accept the gift of God's love in humility and faith, God himself would make you loving, which was, Jesus said, the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. So therefore, it was not by being good that humanity was to be saved. Because by, himself, by, by itself, it, that was just what humans could not be. And when you know, we think about the rich young ruler, uh, when he called Jesus a good teacher, Jesus himself said, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. 
It was not by good works that we have to win our way into the kingdom. But like the prodigal son, all we have to do is set our course for home and God will be there to welcome us with open arms before we even have a chance to ask for forgiveness for the depth of our brokenness. So with Christ clearing the way in these ways, Paul says that we are free from and we are free to. But what is it that Christ frees us from? And what is it that, that Christ frees us to? Well, Paul tells us, and the picture that Paul is painting throughout Galatians is one of this just cosmic struggle between the sinful desires of the flesh and the spirit. He's saying to the Galatians and to us, that we have been called into a world, we've been called out into a world that is empowered by, filled with, and shaped in accordance with the Holy Spirit. You know, God's Spirit pervades everything. This is a, you know, Paul's cosmic reality. But against that, we have these sinful desires of the flesh that pull at us, that pull us away from that reality. And so that Paul says that in Christ, we are freed from the law. We are freed from the sinful desires of the flesh, which the law forces us into. And then he goes on to list some of those. He says that you know, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, drunkenness, and orgies are all sinful desires of the flesh, and we're called to flee from them. You know, we hear, we hear that part of the list and we think, you know, okay, I, I you know, no, no problem. I, I don't have much of a problem with these things. We can, we can fully appreciate that and we can accomplish that part of the list as far as fleeing away from them. But Paul, Paul also lists idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfishness, dissension, factions, and envy as sinful desires of the flesh. And I don't know about you, but when I hear those, I look at the things that I do and say sometimes, some of the things I think. And then we look at the world around us and see how we mirror so much of the world's brokenness. And that's when we're pierced to the heart. And then we become convicted as Paul warns us that anyone who lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but those hit me like some pretty harsh words from Paul. And so I wonder, you know, what would drive Paul to be so harsh, so explicit in his rebuke of the Galatians? And really, of us. Well, if you notice, all of these sins of the flesh, which Paul lists, they're relational sins. They break relationships. They mar relationships with God and with other people. They deal with how the Galatians are interacting with one another within the church community. You know, the, the Galatian church had been broken up into different factions. The church there was largely made up of pagan converts. And, and they had been heavily influenced. They were kind of confused because they'd been heavily influenced by these preachers who were advocating the adoption of the Old Testament law and the practice of circumcision in order to become true Christians. 
So they were divided. They were confused. There was jealousy, envy, dissension, hatred, and the like. But Paul says, no, you foolish Galatians, don't you realize what Christ has done for you? Don't you know that in Christ you are freed from all of this, from these sins of the flesh? And then Paul gets into just what it is that the Galatians have been freed to. We've been freed from the sins of the flesh, and we've been freed to. He says that those who belong to Christ have crucified. You get that? have crucified the sinful nature with all its evil passions and desires. And they are then freed to lead a life lived in the Spirit. You know, we think back to the story of the prodigal son. We see that, you know, good works are not the cause of salvation. But if good works are not the cause of salvation, they are nonetheless the mark and effect of it. If we are forgiven but do not forgive, if we are loved but do not love in return, we are only deceiving ourselves. And Jesus says, you shall know them by their fruit. And he then says, you know, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so Paul in his letter to the Galatians is only echoing what Christ is saying when he writes that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So in this, Paul, he makes a shift from the don't just do something, stand there nature of faith, of trusting in, quite, in what Christ has done on our behalf, to a don't just stand there do something call of the Spirit. Paul's saying that in the freedom we experience through Christ of living in the Spirit, we will show forth its fruit. You know, growing up, I'd, I'd heard a lot about the fruit of the Spirit. I think probably at one time I memorized the list when I was younger. Uh, but so much of what I heard and so much of how it was presented of, to me, I always heard it quoted you know, as, as talked about, you know, the, the fruits of the Spirit, as, you know, plural fruits of the Spirit, as if Paul was saying the fruits of the Spirit are. And so I would also hear folks talking about, you know, the, the fruit that they most exemplify or about the fruit that, you know, they, they are most gifted in. And so I would hear, and maybe you've heard this too, someone say, you know, well, I'm, patience is my fruit, but I struggle with self-control right? Mine, or, or mine is self-control. I struggle with something. This is my kind of fruit of the Spirit. So, I, you know, I, I often heard people talking about the fruit of the Spirit as if they are the gifts of the Spirit. You know, Paul says that some will have the gifts of prophecy, some gifts of shepherding, some the gifts of tongues, etc., etc. So many read the fruit of the Spirit in that same way. But it changes everything to know that the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in his letter to the Galatians is not Many fruits, but one fruit. Paul does not say the fruits of the Spirit are. He says the fruit of the Spirit is. 
When we enter into a life in Christ, we enter into a life lived in the Spirit. And this life will be known by others through the one fruit of the Spirit. You know, we don't get to pick and choose which of the facets of this one fruit we will live out. You know, it's all or nothing. It's all inclusive. If we are living a life in the Spirit, we will, we will exhibit this one fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All facets of the same fruit. And we think, you know, oh man, I, w- I was doing really well with the kindness bit. I had that down. You know, that was kind of my thing. And now Paul's telling me I should exhibit patience or even self-control. And then all the rest as well. You see, Paul is upping the ante. He's calling us to a life in the Spirit, a life of following the example of Christ, of of walking in His footsteps, of being little Jesuses in this world. And it's all relational. All this fruit of the Spirit is relational. It has to do with how we interact within the community, within the body of Christ first, and then out in the world. And it is in this life lived in the Spirit, having fled from the sinful desires of the flesh and exhibiting the singular fruit of the Spirit that we experience true freedom. The freedom that is God's gift to us. Christ has set us free from sin and death and Christ has set us free to live a life in the Spirit. And here is where I think it gets challenging for us. As we, we're Americans, we know about freedom. We know what freedom is. You know, we live our freedom. But here's where it gets challenging. We're not free to use our God-given freedom to indulge our sinful desires. We're not free to do whatever we want, whenever we want. But instead, we are freed, as Paul says, and I want you to hear this, we are freed to become slaves to one another through love. Hear that. We are freed to become slaves to one another through love. This flies in the face of everything we know freedom to be as red-blooded Americans. You know, as Americans, we understand freedom to mean freedom from any constraint on our autonomy or on our personal choice. As followers of Jesus, though, being free is not about autonomy. It's not about about self-actualization. It's not about absolutizing the exercise of personal choice or rights. Instead, freedom consists in becoming slaves to Jesus and to one another in love. But, you know, this hits us to our core, might surprise us, and we might becoming start becoming indignant at hearing something like this but i think most of us know this intuitively we know this you know if any of us have ever been caught in any kind of sin any sin you know a sin that we freely autonomously choose to participate in we often think to ourselves in the moment that we are choosing freely what we want to do and we do what we want to do but we inevitably end up finding that we become enslaved to that sin. You know, in Paul's words, I do what I do not want to do, and I do not do that which I want to do. We become enslaved to that sin and to ourselves. 
And this, you know, according to St. Augustine, this happens to be the very definition of hell. Doing whatever we want, whenever we want. And then we end up hating ourselves. Hating those around us. And that we find that we are most definitely not free. Even though we exercise our autonomous personal freedom to make that choice. But when we are freed from those sinful desires and to seek to live fully into the life of the Spirit, we find that our hearts and our lives are completely unburdened, completely set free. We are free to choose the good. We are free to choose love. And at root, that's where it goes back to, love. It's through love that Jesus sets us free from sin and death. It's through love that we experience life in the Spirit. Love is primary, and that's why it it heads up Paul's list of this singular fruit. Love makes all the other facets of the Holy Spirit's fruit in our lives possible. Think about all of this. And I don't think I have to list the endless implications of this for us today in the world we live in, with all the people we're surrounded with. I don't think I have to say what our response should be to the brokenness we see right outside our our homes. I don't think I should have to say what our response should be to the brokenness within our homes. I shouldn't have to say how we are to respond to our enemies or even to those we disagree with or even to the endless just viciousness on our social media pages. The Holy Spirit is calling us out. Out from the yoke of slavery that is the sinful desires of the flesh. And it's calling us to freedom. To, you know, I love how Paul just turns that slavery image on its head. Called out of the yoke of slavery from our sinful desires and called to the freedom by enslaving ourselves to Jesus and to one another in love. This is not a call to fluffy sentimentality. This is a call to the real, gritty, raw, fiery love of Jesus. When we, by faith, live out that love, we then fully enter into a life lived in the Spirit witnessing to the fruit of the Spirit and the fullness of Jesus and His coming kingdom. Friends, I think, may it be so for us. Seek the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And allow the Holy Spirit to make you new. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are grateful. We are thankful for the ways that you work in our lives, for the ways that you have cleared a path to experience life fully, to be fully free, free from everything that separates us from you, but also free to live a life in you, with you, in and through your love. So God, make it so in our lives and in our life together. Knit us together, unite us, enslave us to one another, Help us to bind ourselves to you, God, that we would be made new. All of this we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and to the glory of God the Father. Amen.
重要。